I felt a push to do something, do something important, get to something to address his problems. But if I tried rushing him directly to more serious matters, I ran into a thick brick wall. How are things at school this week? And how's things at home, Finn? Fine, he said, like with a tone that said much more like, you're interrupting me? Really? You don't like talking about home much, do you? He looked at me as if to say, where'd you get your degree, doc? Costco? But instead he said, I don't like being told I have to talk about things or when. I'll talk about it when I want to. He glared at me, but also had that hurt, betrayed look. I felt a smile. I love it when you're so honest with me, Finn. Welcome to the A Different Kind of Psychiatry podcast brought to you by the ACO. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. Our podcast is now available through Audible and Amazon Music. Both of these apps are also a place where you can write a review. I hope you'll consider leaving a review about what you enjoy. The best way to help the ACO spread its knowledge is by letting others know about us. Each month, we feature a case presentation, interview, or discussion by one or more of our doctors who practice a different kind of psychiatry. We're interested in your questions and comments, and I would love to hear your feedback. Send an email to aco at orgonomy.org. If you're interested in attending one of our webinar presentations, you can meet the doctors and join in on the discussion afterwards. You can connect with us and learn more at orgonomy.org or a different kind of psychiatry.com. In this episode, we hear the audio from one of our webinar presentations. Dr. D. Apple shares the amazing case of a distrustful, quirky, and angry adolescent named Finn who had already tried working with three other therapists. Dr. Apple describes how it took time to develop trust and that the relationship couldn't be rushed, but that slowly as they addressed Finn's prickly, provocative character, his sensitive, healthy nature could be uncovered. Following the presentation, Dr. Peter Christ and Dr. Chris Burrett joined Dr. Apple for a discussion with questions from the webinar audience. Fifteen-year-old Finn glared at me. Why should I talk to you or trust you? I don't trust anyone. I was his fourth therapist. Would I even have a chance to engage with him? Yet there was another look in his eyes as well, something sad and hurt, longing to be understood. I understand, Finn, so don't trust me. Don't trust me until you do, until I earn your trust if I can. That's on me. But still, it may help things at home if we keep meeting for a while. Knowing his rebellious problems at home and at school, I added, you know, you can work on your homework in my office if you want to. You can even take a nap in my office if you think that's best. It's up to you. You're in charge. And, of course, you don't have to meet with me at all if you don't want to. Finn looked at me with a mix of attitudes, 50% suspicion, 30% defiance, and maybe 20% hope. Well, 
I may be able to trust you if you don't blow it. But if you're dishonest with me, if you bullshit me, I'll have my eye on you and you'll never see me again. Fair enough, Finn. And thus we began our seven year adventure of therapy together. Chapter one, Finn's parents, both highly educated professionals described him. He won't accept limits. It's impossible to get him to do his homework. He lies about his assignments and gets angry and stubborn and argumentative. Finn's mother was particularly irritated, citing one problem after another. He has no friends at school. He sits alone at the lunchroom. You know, he's clumsy, no good at sports. He's getting further behind every day. All he cares about is video games. I thought, wow, she seems embarrassed, like, like she hates her son. All she cares about is wanting to change him. And the attitude I picked up from her towards me was, you need to fix him. The parents told me about Finn's difficult beginning. His father said, sadly, Finn was born just weighing four pounds, 12 ounces, and was in the neonatal ICU for days after an emergency cesarean section. Finn's medical problems required several major surgeries. Even here, his mom seemed irritated. When I first saw him, he had tubes and wires coming out of him. I remember lots of doctors and hospital visits. His first two years were a nightmare. And Finn crying a lot and, and not sleeping. He never slept more than three hours at night. She had clearly gone through a horrible ordeal herself. As a child, Finn had a lot of anger and expressed interest in violence. One time when his dad told him what to do, he said, I'm gonna kick you in the balls and cut off your legs. I felt overwhelmed. How am I gonna help with this avalanche of problems? In his first session, Finn said, yeah, okay, I procrastinate about homework. I'm not motivated to get things done because I hate being yelled at to do them. I paused a moment. Help me, Finn. Not motivated, stubborn, or both? All right, both, but she's crazy if she thinks criticizing and yelling at me is gonna work. I get bad grades, okay, but besides mom getting pissed off and yelling at me, I really don't care. All she does is criticize everything I do. Nothing is good enough for her. I'm not good enough for her. It's death by a thousand cuts. So fuck her, it makes me want to kill her. I glanced at him. You said you don't care, but it sounds like you care a lot. You have a lot of strong feelings. It really bothers you. Any other feelings besides anger? You mean besides feeling like a piece of shit and a loser and wishing I was dead? I thought, Thank God he had that little derisive smile on his face when he said those sad words. I liked Finn. I felt that he was damaged but full of promise and that he was very intelligent and very perceptive, sometimes in a quirky way. Now he looks sad. Another problem is that my mouth and my eyes are weird. I can't smile properly. I can't 
control my lower lip and my eyes are different. I, I think I look weird. I, I don't want to talk about that. You don't have to, Finn, but thank you for trusting me with that. I will keep it between you and I until you may want to talk about it again. Chapter two. For months, Finn came in each session talking about this or that, whatever was on his mind, plans to scare kids at Halloween, his knife collection, food he found that he was delicious, his fascination with swords. While I followed his lead, letting him talk on and on, I wondered sometimes, where is he leading us? Or is he just avoiding things and going nowhere? I felt a push to do something, do something important get to something to address his problems. But if I tried rushing him directly to more serious matters, I ran into a thick brick wall. How are things at school this week? And how's things at home, Finn? Fine, he said, like with a tone that said much more like, you're interrupting me? Really? You don't like talking about home much, do you? He looked at me as if to say, where'd you get your degree, Doc? Costco? But instead he said, I don't like being told I have to talk about things or when. I'll talk about it when I want to. He glared at me, but also had that hurt, betrayed look. I felt a smile. I love it when you're so honest with me, Finn. I let my smile slowly come across my face, checking his reaction. He smiled back. Sure, all right, no biggie. Okay, and I did have a fight with my mom this week, by the way. I was thrilled. The beauty of the moment was that I got it, and he knew I got it. Finn had found a place where he was not so easily feeling criticized or found lacking, or pushed in a direction someone else wanted him to go. Finn marched to his own drummer. I could follow and only then join him, but at his pace, not mine. Not pushing him, not even one bit, but being ready when I saw an opening was the key. Wanna say any more about it? Not really. A few seconds went by. He watched me. I waited. I think he's testing to see if I'm going to push him or not. He took a breath. Not really, but I will. Okay, so she got me so mad. I really felt like hurting her. I so wanted to punch her. Those are really strong feelings. What did you do with them? Do I need to worry about you acting those out in some way that would Make a lot of trouble for you and others? That wouldn't be good for you, would it? No, I guess not. But I did feel like hurting her. She just won't shut up. So you get it, Finn. Feelings are important, but well, they're just feelings. You don't have to act on them. We can find ways to express them that work for us and not against us. What could you do to get some of that out of you? I could punch a wall. Right, it doesn't hurt your mom and it gets some of that anger out of you, but it might hurt your hand. What else? 
I could punch something that didn't hurt my hand or break my hand. Right, like a, a nice heavy punching bag. You could hang it up in the basement, right? Like a delighted child, Finn's eyes widened, and his face lit up with excitement and a big smile. And he let out a long devilish, yeah. Underneath his erratic, faux confident, porcupine quickness to defend himself lay a reservoir of twisted, intense hatred and violent impulses, but deeper, a tremendous sadness. And yet even deeper, more his true nature, something sweet, childlike, and even playful. The next week, Finn bounded into my office. He could hardly wait to tell me, I made a big improvement using the punching bag. I got angry at mom bugging me about school again. I just wanted to destroy her. I wanted to see her guts hanging out. I punched the bag, but it just didn't do it for me. Then I got an idea. I got my hunting knife and I stabbed the bag. It worked so much better. I stabbed it maybe 10 times. It was perfect. I could really feel it, the knife going into the bag. And with that same devilish smile, he added, there's something about stabbing it that felt so good. Perhaps he sensed my quiet concern, my quiet concern. But don't worry, Dr. Apple, I was careful not to hurt myself. I nodded, or anyone else, then smiled. No, of course not. As if to say my concern was unnecessary. Chapter three. After graduating from high school, Finn attended college for one year. As the year progressed, he grew more socially isolated. He was awkward and anxious. And he also disliked the standard social activity of getting stoned and drunk. While he made decent grades, he started falling behind in the late spring term and withdrew from the school before being dismissed. His father was concerned. His mother was furious and didn't hold back letting him know. After he returned home, Finn and his mother argued more and more about what he was going to do with himself. She became angrier, more controlling and pushy. Finn became less cooperative. A typical pattern emerged. She raged at him to get things done. He promised he would, but he didn't, or he told her to screw off. This repeated over and over. He more or less refused to speak to her for a year. And he was still stabbing the punching bag, which he held together with duct tape. His parents wanted to meet with me. Can you encourage him to get a job? Help him remember his appointments and deadlines? Can't you be a little more direct? Can't you be a little harder on him? Can't you go a little faster? I leaned forward towards them. I can imagine how frustrating this is for you, but as you know better than anyone else, your son has a stubborn streak a mile wide and a spiteful iron will. No one, me included, is going to tell him what to do or how fast to do it, and you least of all at this point. But are you making any progress with him? Yes, I am. It is slow, but it's significant. 
He's trusting me to talk about many important feelings and expressing and moving through hateful feelings that fuel many destructive things in his life, such as his spite, self-hatred, and lack of confidence, among other things. And he seems less angry and a bit lighter in mood to me. Do you see that at all at home? His dad smiled. Yes, I do. But he glanced out of the corner of his eye at his wife, who said, well, I don't. I said, I know. And as his mother, you're the last that he would show anything kind or vulnerable or soft to. But it is there, I assure you. And I believe it will grow and come out if given time and he's not pushed. I would encourage you to back off as much as possible. Mom frowned and glared at me. Well, if, I, if you can't tell him and I'm supposed to back off, how's anything going to change? She had a point. I thought to myself, but you can't force a seedling to grow faster. Things came to an ugly head when Finn's mom went into his room and looked through his things. I had asked her not to do that, but she said she was looking for an application Finn claimed to have completed. But he saw that she also looked through a lot of other things. He was furious at this intrusion and really felt set back in his relationship with her. At his next session, Finn looked exasperated. And you wonder why I have a hard time trusting people. She's destroyed the only place of privacy and security in the house. I'm done trying. I'm done talking to her. To keep out of this, can't you get him to do versus don't tell me what to do mess, which would satisfy his, satisfy his parents briefly, but completely derail my growing alliance with Finn, I recommended to the parents hiring a life coach. This is something I had not done before as a therapist. I knew a coach that I trusted would take direction from me with Finn's awareness and work with him about practical issues to get things done without intruding into his therapy. This way I hoped Finn would avoid seeing me as a hired gun and losing his growing trust in me. Chapter four. I have got to get out of that house. Finn agreed that it was important to, for him to find his way into a more independent life. He hungered for experience in the larger world. With some parent financial support and practical assistance from the coach, Finn joined a work group in Florida for three weeks, building houses for the needy. Later, he excelled at an outdoor survival and tracking school. I encouraged him to join a local social skills group for young people for two months. The group sponsor later reported that he became the natural leader of the group. Finn enjoyed and was proud of these experiences where his life skills were honed and further developed. And this nicely dovetailed with his work in therapy as I continued working with him to find safe and healthier ways to discharge destructive impulses. I also was encouraging expression of healthier core impulses by perceiving and engaging them. Then two other major events happened. First, Finn accepted the idea of going away from home to learn a skill rather than returning to college an idea his mother was pushing, but Finn was soured on. 
<clears throat> he was accepted at an organic farm and cooking school overseas where he lived and worked for six weeks. He left there with a refined love of food and cooking and an interest someday in attending a formal culinary school and perhaps becoming a chef. He also made some friends there. Second, his father was offered a position in another city and the parents decided to move. Finn decided with some anxiety to remain in New Jersey. Fortunately, a job opened up at a local organic farm to table restaurant and they hired Finn as a butcher, assistant butcher. Finn said, now I can use my knife skills and get paid for it. Serendipitously, the new job came with the offer to live in a large house with several of the other restaurant employees who rented rooms there. Finn jumped at the chance to do this just as his parents moved from his childhood home. Finn loved earning his own money. In one session, he wore some new boots he had bought for himself. Not only do I love these boots, I love the feeling of buying them with my own money. I never liked any clothes as much as I like these boots. Chapter five. Having space and distance from his mother was very helpful though some early visits to his parents' new home didn't end easily. I visited my parents and my twin brother this past week. It, at first it went okay, but my mom and I cooked dinner for everyone the last night, it was good. But then my mom said something really awful at dinner. She told my twin brother, who was born first with no medical problems, that the original plan was just to have one child with no awareness how that might make me feel like I, my parents never wanted me. I always felt that. Finn felt angry and hurt and abruptly left to return to New Jersey. Later, he made other visits to his family, each time coming to his sessions to discuss how things went. Each session, he was more aware of his emotions and able to feel and express them instead of going into fantasies or overt violent impulses as he had done in the past or having to leave his parents in a huff. I ask, Finn, do you notice any changes in your reactions to your mom? Well, I, I know I have PTSD or something like that from past teasing from my brothers and being tortured by my mom. But now I can sometimes see I'm overreacting. I continue to avoid pushing or rushing him. Meanwhile, tensions with his mother slowly diminished. He tolerated my carefully offering an alternative perspective on her reactions without feeling criticized or betrayed. The ice between them started to melt. They both enjoyed cooking together, working on certain projects, and occasionally taking walks together. Finn even worried about this change. He said, I, I feel myself regressing and I'm depending on her again in some ways, such as leaving things in the sink for her to do. I worry, am I becoming less independent than before? He stopped and looked at me. I hate how much even little compliments make me feel so good. All I needed was encouragement. It just feels so good to me. But my parents never understood that until recently. 
After a more recent visit to his parents, he had a follow-up phone call with his mother to let her know he had arrived home safely. Finn told me about it and sounded very concerned. At the end of the call, she said, I love you. And then I heard myself say, I love you too. What's happening to me, Dr. Apple? It was so much easier when I just hated her. I still hate, hate her, but now I have all these other feelings too. It's so weird. Chapter six. During the COVID pandemic, Finn and other employees were laid off at the restaurant. He retained his room in the rental house along with a promise to be rehired when things picked up at the restaurant. He had saved some money, so with some support from his parents and pride in his frugal lifestyle, he did okay. I started two D&D &D groups. I'm the leader of the group, so I create the storylines for the games. I love them so much. The games gave him a source of socializing online, an outlet for his offbeat creative expressions, and a channel for some modulated aggression. Finn, now 21 years old, regularly reported on his groups with the glee of a younger person. Everybody wants to join my groups. I get to express my affection for the players through the experiences I create for them, but I also like to fuck with them and they love it. They never know what I'm gonna do next. I love it, he added. And some of them are becoming friends. We talk for hours after the game. Finn also joined a young adult writer's group. He said, I know it'll help me in writing for the D&D &D group and for my other writing projects. Interactions with his mother continued to improve. At the same time, his father's anxiety became more obvious. With Finn's knowledge, I met with his father. I mentioned how sensitive Finn is, the improved relationship with his mother, and how he can increasingly be vulnerable. But his dad grimaced. Well, yes, but I'm still very discouraged. Is he moving quickly enough towards independence? I don't know about his financial situation either. I, I think he likes COVID so he can sort of hide and, and depend on us for money. In Finn's next session, he took off telling me about his D&D group and how delighted he was with how it was going. Again, following this unusual drummer's pace and rhythm, I listened for 20 minutes, waiting for an opening, and then said, Finn, you've unintentionally created a really difficult task for me. How am I going to interrupt you and talk about a less fun but important topic such as my meeting with your dad. Finn smiled and said, oh, don't worry, Dr. Apple, I can stop any time. I was just excited to express my pleasure with you. Let's talk about dad then, because I am going up there to visit them over Thanksgiving. We'll all be there, my two brothers too. So that gives us four weeks to prepare. I talked about my session with his dad and mentioned his dad's worries, but Finn was clear. Heck no, I love to make my own money, but I don't care about money that much the way he does. I will never care to make more than I need to just be independent and comfortable. 
Dad and I are just different that way. Say more about how you feel right now, hearing what I said about your dad. Sure, here's the way it is. I care in general a lot less about what people think of me now. I seek approval less, but my dad's anxiety feeds into my self-esteem problems, which still plague me. Dad worries me, worries if I can do it. Life, he thinks I can't. That starts me worrying if I can. I, I hate him for making me doubt myself. Underneath this fear, or under this, this anger and rage, I feel fear, you know, fear of disappointing him, fear of failing. It gives me a horrible feeling, total lack of control. Like I'm on this little raft in the middle of the ocean in the middle of a hurricane. That's a powerful image, Finn. It, it makes me anxious just imagining it. How are you able to live with that feeling? I can't control the feeling, but I can control the expression. He had a clear tone of pride in his voice. How? Well, I breathe and I breathe and I breathe and I just feel it like we've talked about. And then I let it go and I move on if I can. Sometimes I can't, but eventually I can. My dad has his own problems, but I know he loves me. I don't need to stab the punching bag anymore. Chapter seven. Finn spent four days with his family over Thanksgiving, which passed without difficulty or arguments. For the first time since he was a young child, he enjoyed his entire family cooking a large Thanksgiving meal with his mother. He told me all of this in a very calm, kind of low-key, matter-of-fact way that made me want to shake him up. Finn, you're playing this so low-key. This is a big deal. This is wonderful news. You've worked so hard for this. Finn, in a lowered voice, said, yeah, I know, but I still have a hard time taking compliments. I felt very proud of him. You know, the Finn I first knew has really changed a lot, hasn't he? Finn looked at me directly, without defiance, no glare in his eye, no silly smile. I am a different person now. It's like that Finn's dead. I'm less of a paranoid bastard. You know, that Finn had to wear a full Antarctica cold weather survival suit. Maybe it was more than he really needed to protect himself, but he didn't know. He did what he thought he had to do. Later, he noticed he was getting warm, then hot and sweaty. And I realized I'm not in Antarctica anymore. I'm in, maybe I'm in Italy at the beach and I don't need all that protection anymore. So now I'm naked, I'm free. Well, except that now and then I need to wear my Speedo. How do you feel after hearing about Finn's case? What do you think? I was especially moved to hear Finn tell Dr. Apple about his interaction with his mother and hearing his mother say, I love you, and him saying it back. He came a long way from those murderous, angry impulses. 
And now let's hear the discussion. Thank you, Dr. Burrett. And uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Apple, also. Um, I, I repeat, I, I reiterate exactly what Dr. Burrett said, a wonderful story um, that shows so much about uh, this young man, Finn, shows so much about you, and it shows so much about uh, the kind of therapy that you do, the kind of therapy that we train people at the College of Organomy to do. And as I was listening to it, I. Um, somehow it, it uh, brought me back to uh, something that Dr. Duvall told me years ago. Dr. Duvall was my first uh, ergonomic mentor and training therapist. And at the end of my first session with him, um, he said, we'll, we'll schedule a trial th therapy. And there are three reasons I wouldn't see somebody uh, in therapy. One, if I didn't understand them, two, if I didn't like them, and three, if they didn't like me. And I'm thinking that's not just the beginning of therapy. This case just shows so much. You really understood Finn. It seems uh, it's absolutely clear. You really liked him, and he really liked, liked you. And I think somehow each of those are uh, aspects of things we could spend a whole afternoon talking about uh, uh, some of the elements of, of this case. And you know, I hope we'll get into more of the discussion, but uh, I, I, I wonder if you would just comment particularly about that sense of liking him and him liking you, because I think that's so crucial in any therapy. Yes, and, and you're, you're absolutely right that the training that I've um, had over the years at the College of Ergonomy is now in my bones so it's not it's not in my mind or thoughts while I'm sitting with somebody, but it's there. And um, one of the ways that it expressed itself was that almost immediately, thank goodness, I could see um, beyond his surface expressions, his um, facade, which was sometimes disturbing and not not all that likable. Mm -hmm. And it was it was I referred to him as having a porcupine quickness of defending himself. And, and he was like that. He, he was hard at first uh, to get to know, but there was something sweet and vulnerable about him underneath that. Um, that was one of many things that first uh, made me like him. There were a lot of other things as well. His um, pride in being himself a bit relentlessly, and uh, you know, in a way, in a rebellious way, um, he was uh, sometimes uh, uncomfortably honest mm -hmm. with me as well, mm -hmm. which I enjoyed and told him I appreciated. So there, yes, there were a lot of things about him and he, he just did not give up. Mm -hmm. And um, another thing about him that I appreciated that, that, I, that I realized is a big part of our therapy is his humor. He, he mm -hmm. is humorous. Mm -hmm. And there's something about humor, I'm not sure, it, it, it sort of implies a certain amount of health or something, mm. if, if it's not mean. Mm -hmm. um, he could laugh at himself, mm -hmm. uh, he could laugh at me. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. yeah. So we got along that way as well. Yeah. I mean, what you're talking about is, is there were things on the surface, or I would 
I mean, one of the key principles uh, that we often talk about are the three layers, the uh, core, what I call the core nature, then the, the secondary layer, the person's character, and then the facade, their personality. And yeah, clearly some of the awful stuff in the person's secondary character layer, you don't necessarily like, but you're, you're talking about that you were able to see what was underneath that. And uh, that, I think that's a, a crucial difference in the approach that, that we have as ergonomists of really distinguishing healthy impulses from uh, secondary neurotic ones. And I, could, could you just spell out again, identify what you see as the qualities of his healthy nature and the qualities of his uh, neurotic or sick character? Yeah, I, I may start with the secondary or neurotic qualities because that was sort of what was in my face yeah. first. Um, but having said that, uh, as I said at the beginning of the presentation, almost immediately he would say something and glare at me, but you could see in his eyes uh, something hurt, something softer, something mm -hmm. sad, and this there's no other word for it but longing. It's like, don't you understand me? Can't you understand me? Won't you please try to understand me? That I could really feel. Mm -hmm. um, that felt like that came from a healthier core mm -hmm. of impulse, whereas some of the uh, anger and the violent fantasies and um, feelings he had there definitely seemed much more secondary layer. One of the things that I really felt like I learned in, in working with Finn, but also in preparing for this presentation was I always thought of secondary layer impulses as something that should be restrained mm -hmm. and core or healthier nature impulses to be encouraged. And there's truth to that. But as I saw with Finn, sometimes it's not black or white. Sometimes you have to encourage the expression of secondary layer impulses, but in a restrained way or in a careful way to help work them out of the, out of the system, out of the, out of the person's um, character. <laughs> and, you know, his hitting the punching bag and a little bit more frighteningly stabbing the front punching bag. Once I was aware that, he's able to restrain himself enough. He knows what not to do. He has no history of violence at all, ever. He's got a lot of fantasies, but he's never done anything to hurt anybody. It, it really became clear that there are certain specific secondary impulses that are absolutely the right one to release energy and move, move things out of the way for some of those sweeter feelings to come through. Yeah. Dr. Apple, if I could say something, I, I don't know how anyone didn't ask this yet, but I was wondering while you were telling me about Finn stabbing the, the, the uh, punching bag, how did you handle your own feelings about, oh my God, what is he doing? And, and to be able to trust him, you know, that, that he was safe and it, this wasn't um, going to spill over and injure anybody else. You know, if, if, if um, I'll admit, if Finn had told me in the first or second session that he was doing that, it would have scared the heck out of me. It would have worried me quite a bit. But by the time that came up, I had spent uh, a lot of time with him and had asked him, 
I mean, there were many times he would say things like, I just feel like punching my mom. I want to just punch her. I hate her. And it, it felt so intense that I had to be sure that these were feelings, but they're going to stay in the realm of feelings and not start leaking into the realm of action. And we talked a lot about that. And by the time he said that about stabbing the uh, punching bag, I was, you know, 99% sure. I, I certainly, this was a new and disturbing impulse coming up. And I wanted to be darn sure that, that he was safe and his mother was safe. But after talking to him, I had no worries um, that he would act on his impulses. And it's just something we talk a lot about in our training that um, you can't make those decisions mechanically you know, uh, and if I had tried to do something that might seem appropriate in a mechanical way, I could have stopped everything and done a formal assessment of his anger or his violent tendencies or things like that would have been out of left field for him. It would have disrupted him and basically communicated very clearly, I don't trust you. And I don't trust your ability to, to, to regulate your own impulses and emotions. But thank goodness, by then, I didn't feel a need to do that. It, it makes me think I, I was just interviewing Dr. Folia, and we were talking about courage as a psychiatrist to stand strong feelings. And, and that's what came across to me is you were comfortable both in your relationship with him, but also in, in your ability to uh, see, hear, feel other people's feelings and, and not just have a knee-jerk reaction to do something and to trust your gut and your relationship with him. So job well done. Thank you. That's the other part that I wanted to, to say in, in relation to that is um, what I was talking about, understanding him. I think that's such a great example of you really understanding what was going on with him moment to moment. And I will go back to the thing I've been emphasizing so much uh, lately is the functional approach is all about observing and observing and observing and have the conclusions come from what you've observed, not some preconception, a mechanical idea. And, and I don't know, as you were talking about him, I, I was thinking, Dr. Apple, I think has been a fisherman. Hmm. Uh, and you, you landed a 20 pound trout with a 10 pound line. <laughs> That's such a great image. Yeah. Yeah, I can just feel that. You just have to be patient and patient and patient. Yeah. And if you get in a hurry, you lose them. Yeah. yeah. So, Dr. Apple, someone in, in the audience asked, what do you think Finn appreciated and liked about you? And my guess is that's part of it. But what's your sense? Um, I think the most important and the deepest thing that he – liked and, and, and got from me was um, the clear feeling that I wanted to know him, <clears throat> that I wanted to understand him, and increasingly, as I did, that I cared about him. Um, those are the main things. Um, but there were a lot of other things. I know he liked my jokes, um, you know, which says something about how intelligent he is, I guess. <laughs> He, 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 we got into a period where, you know, I had to have a joke and he would bring one. So we exchanged jokes that way. And it's like he enjoyed that. Um, I, 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 I do think it's important that um, with, with some difficulty, it wasn't an easy thing. I, I sort of was 
walking the fine line between um, supporting him in terms of his relationship with his mother, especially early when she was so overwhelmed and harsh with him. You know, I wanted to let him know, yeah, you're right. She's that's uh, she's being a bit harsh there, but I didn't want to encourage his uh, acting out or not seeing the other side of the coin or even more seriously losing her by not giving her any support. So that was, that was difficult, but I know he knew I was on his side and would had his back. Dr. Apple, can you say something about that? You mentioned um, in your presentation, the alternative view about maybe what was coming from his mother. What, what do you mean exactly? You know, to, to be very honest, when I first started working with her, she was very difficult to like. Uh, she was very provocative, very powerful. You know, I talked about Finn's glare. I mean, I know where he got that. She would glare at me and um, she, you know, and she, she would, you know, she could put me back in my chair a bit. And so it was hard to take that. And yet I knew what she had been through and what, you know, he, he would, it was easy for me to work with him once or twice a week. She was living with him and he was not easy to live with. So I did manage to keep in contact with her feelings. Even when I wasn't seeing her regularly, I could remember how it was for her and how difficult it was for her. And I could hear in some of the things she said, they were said consistent with her character. They were pushy and, critical and controlling, but she cared enough to, about him to save them, so to speak. She had care for him. She worried about him. So that's sort of half of the, the answer. The, the other part has to do with, um, you know, the timing and, uh, you know, the, how to do those uh, alternative uh, perspectives, you know, to know when to, when to do that. And um, I think a lot of a lot, a lot of adolescents, part of therapy is uh, getting an alternative perspective on their parents, an alternative perspective on their girlfriend, an alternative perspective on school, to hear somebody else talk about it, so they're not lost in their own way of seeing things. They get a wider perspective, and especially with someone like Finn, who has a lot of distorted perceptions about things. As I was able to gain his trust and he would listen to other ways I saw things and reconsider his pers his perspective on things it, it could be ve very valuable I was trying to think about I know I'm going on here but I was trying to think about how to describe when you know let's say just wait and wait and then wait for the opening and when uh, when that opening came but that's very hard to describe it's not a technical skill. It's more of something about listening carefully. And as Dr. Chris was saying, observing, 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 and then it comes to you. So it's almost like you have to trust that it will come to you. For instance, when he was going on and on about his D&D &D games, and I wanted to get to the, the conversation I'd had with his dad, I just waited. And I wasn't sure how I was going to transition there. All of a sudden, it just hit me. He's making it impossible for me to transition. That's my opening. Mm -hmm. So I told him, hey, Finn, you're just making it so hard. You know, I know you're not trying to, but you're making it impossible. And his, his response to that was delightful. He said, 
oh, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, I was just sharing my pleasure with you. We can talk about my dad. So I, it worked. I have to say also as a young psychiatrist and therapist, it's, it's very helpful for me to hear that from you in a case that takes a lot of patience and, and trusting that things will develop spontaneously. And, you know, it's one thing for someone to know, it's another thing to hear it played out and, and then to do it. Um, so it was very helpful for me to hear. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. And I, I would hasten to say that I'm still being patient. He's still working. It's not over yet. Uh, he, you know, he has his problems. He had a very tough beginning and uh, some of those things last forever. And, but he's, he's certainly making progress. There was a question from the audience um, and, and they wanted to know, has he been able to have a romantic relationship yet? His, uh, let's put it this way, he's exploring sexuality. He's not clear about what he's doing and where he's going, but he is interested in relationships with people. He's just not clear about what exactly he wants to do in that regard. So he's experimented around. He's not doing anything that's frightening or dangerous or anything like that. And he's aware that he's not aware of what he wants to do. He's exploring. So he's holding back from getting too seriously committed, but uh, he's, he's experimenting. He has not had any serious longer term relationships yet. And so you're still working with him? Oh, yes. Wonderful. Yeah. There was also questions from the audience. There was two. One, um, were the parents ever in therapy? Is that something you could recommend to them when you see children? And the question that's similar is, did you ever consider to ask Finn's mother to talk to you more about her own behaviors and feelings? Um, I did recommend, actually backing up, they were in therapy. The father was in therapy with someone I knew who referred them to me for Finn. So he was already in therapy. Um, and when he moved to his new uh, place of work, he transferred and got a new therapist. And that therapist and I have talked a couple of times just to coordinate things, um, which the father agreed to. The mother was in and out of therapy with somebody around here in, in New Jersey. And I, I honestly don't know if she's in therapy now. Um, but I did have, um, over the years, I probably had, I don't know, maybe six or eight meetings with her. Um, a couple of meetings with the coach and her, which were very helpful. Um, I didn't go into all the details in my write-up, but one of those meetings was the one where she confronted me about asking her to back off. <laughs> Ooh, I was kind of glad there was somebody else there. <laughs> she was very angry about that. And it was very clear that there was a lot there that had nothing to do with me. And I acknowledged that I understand that was very upsetting for you and insulting to you to tell you to back off from your own son. And we uh, restated it and tried to work it through. And and th the proof of the pudding, though, was that in the last month after Thanksgiving, she actually called me and thanked me for telling her to back off. Hmm. So that was she remembered that from years before. Great. So that's one of the things I think this case nicely illustrates is uh, working with the person's individual 
uh, character, which you're primarily doing, but being very, very aware of the social context in which uh, that is, not just with his parents, but the, the whole picture. And, and I, I think it's a wonderful case that illustrates the, the integration of, of medical uh, ergonomy and social ergonomy. In a yes. Very way. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how I would have been able to help Finn if I hadn't been able to have been trained to see things from the individual and the social perspective because they they're just dovetail even if they don't live together right yeah. um, in some ways not living together made it even clearer what the social issues were or at least more clear mm -hmm. what to try to do to help them with those things mm -hmm. so so dr apple you kind of made a comment in the beginning you know um about taking a nap. Would you let a patient actually take a nap for their first therapy or one of their beginning therapy sessions? And how exactly is that therapy? Well, it's, 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 it's not a standard technique that I use. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, the truth is I've only had one patient who did take a nap. And, and so I've been, um, I've said that a few times to especially, um, you know, acrimonious, rebellious teenagers, because there's something funny about saying that, but it also makes a point that, you know, you can take a nap. I'm not telling you what to do, but I always say it in a certain way. I say, if that's what you think is best, you know, so I have a story that uh, a, a long time ago, uh, I had a 14 year old, uh, really angry kid. Uh, he, the, the presenting problem was he had sprayed his mother in the face with hairspray. That's how mad he was. And they made him come to therapy. He had nothing, he had no interest in it at all. And my memory of it, which is probably distorted over time, was that they kind of balled him up in a ball and threw him in my office and closed the door and held the door closed. You know, <laughs> he didn't want to be there. And he started off right away, right away saying, I'm not talking to you. You can't make me talk to you. And I said, I know, I understand that. Your parents want you to talk. It's not me. I'm glad to talk to you hope to get to, but if you don't want to talk, you can you take a nap if you want to. And he said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a nap. And I went, oh, okay. <laughs> and he did. And he took a nap for the whole session. And I, I'm kind of thinking through my theory classes and my training. And <laughs> it's okay. And, you know, okay, we'll let him do it this time and we'll see what happens. And I wake him up. He leaves. They make him come back. He says the same thing. He's like, now you think I'm going to talk to you. I'm not talking to you. I'm going to waste my dad's money and I'm wasting your time. I'm just going to take another nap. I said, I, I guess I can't stop you, but I'd like to talk to you. And I'm not talking to you. So he lay down and he took another nap. I consulted with my supervisor at the time and some other colleagues. I said, no, you, you really, you, you got to follow his lead. You know, you can't make him do anything. So this happened three times. <laughs> And I'm feeling like, oh, is this an ethical violation? Should I, what am I doing? And, but it felt theoretically right, you know, and it felt energetically right. So I thought I told, my, told his mother I would call her back after three sessions or so. And I'm dreading doing that now. I'm thinking, God, can he please just talk to me a little bit? And then I'll call her back. But he didn't. And then she called me. <laughs> so I have to call her back. And I, I call her and she gets on the phone. And before I can say a word, she says, 
Dr. Apple, what is going on in those sessions? I'm going, I'm sort of bracing myself. And she says, because whatever you're doing, thank God we have our son back. He's been like a lamb since he's been seeing you. And I couldn't believe it. But it taught me so much that he just needed somewhere where he could say, screw everybody. I'm doing my own thing. I'm not going to do what anybody wants me to do. And thankfully, not long after he did start to talk and work through things that were going on in his house that were infuriating to him, including some things with his mother. So that's the nap technique. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> that's great. That's great. This really has been wonderful. I, I think you really highlighted just meeting a patient where they are and not forcing it uh, before anything else. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's one of the things that I remember from the beginning of my training with uh, the college is you, you don't have to do anything to make things move. You know, they will move on their own. You just have to kind of stay out of the way. Yes. And one uh, final thing that I wanted to mention is that so often people with a strong paranoid tendency in their character, their basic nature is actually unbelievably trusting. Uh, and they're so sensitive that, that the only way they can handle that is to uh, hold back and, and project out and be paranoid. And I think Finn is, sounds like a, a perfect example of that. His underlying nature is very open and trusting and childlike. So uh, when he said that uh, paranoid bastard is dead, uh, bravo to you, Dr. Apple, for uh, helping him get that out of the way so his underlying nature could come through. So thank you so much for presenting. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Barrett. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Burr. Thank you, Dr. Chris. Thank you, Dr. Apple. And thank you to the audience for joining us today. And a special thank you to our contributors whose donations have made the ACO's work possible. Stay tuned for our next episode. And don't forget to join us for our live monthly webinars. The best way to help the ACO spread its knowledge is by letting others know about us. I hope you'll share this podcast with your friends and family and let them know about our work. You can connect with us at orgonomy.org or a different kind of psychiatry.com. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. Thank you for listening to the A Different Kind of Psychiatry podcast with the ACO. Since 1968, the psychiatrists affiliated with the American College of Orgonomy have been helping patients discover greater satisfaction, health, and overall well being in their lives. Whether patients suffer with mental illness, struggle with addiction, or feel unsatisfied with their work lives or relationships, medical orgone therapy, as practiced by the physicians at the ACO, offers a way forward, often without the use of medication. Mm -hmm.